Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Tuesday, June the 22nd, 2021, and this is episode 2897. Um, it will not be a rewind. It will be a full episode. Um, I still have a little bit of throat hoarseness, but I'm going to uh, get real close to my microphone gate and speak a little softer to help with that and try to cover a lot of material but finish under an hour to give my voice uh, a good rest. Today we are going to talk about a, a, a big variety of subjects. I've got a quote of the day to, for you. I may have actually talked about this before, but I'm going to give you a new way of looking at it if I have indeed done this one before. But it's by George MacDonald. I have the legitimate use of the mRNA gene therapy in trials now, right? The legit that, that's the stuff they're making the so-called vaccine out of, right? The uh, the gene therapy, Moderna's gene therapy, etc. Uh, Pfizer has one. It's the same type of therapy. Um, and I'm going to tell you about a Fenord with it, big Fenord. For those that are new, Fenord is disinformation in plain sight. You have to know that it's disinformation to see it as disinformation so that you cannot be affected by it. Um, question from a new uh, potential podcaster, where should you host your audio files? I think most people know you should host your own website with a podcast, but there are ways to host your audio files where you don't have to pay for the hosting and you get a better experience. And But should you do that? Should you really? I don't. I'll tell you why not, but maybe you could. Um, but I'm also going to talk about saving the option so that you don't have to rely on it, like having a plan to not keep doing this if it makes sense for you. Um, I have a question. Actually, I actually have some feedback. Um, when Joseph Sincox was on, we talked about how woke culture is destroyed so much, and we both kind of lamented how much we used to love National Geographic. I had somebody that worked, post-tense, worked, past-tense, I should say, for National Geographic, write into me about what working at National Geographic has been like in recent years, I would say this should be a lawsuit. If I were this person, I would go get a lawyer now and say, I want to sue National Geographic. When you hear what was told to him by his supervisor, you might agree. If you're a lawyer, you might want to get in touch with him. Um, I won't delete that email when I read it. I'll, I'll put it aside in case there is a lawyer out there that uh, likes money. I'm just saying. Um, can you encourage brooding in ducks and chickens or keep them broody once they start? This is one that I think the actual answer to is one people don't tend to understand the most important part of it. It'll make sense when I cover it. Um, I have a Spirico Damas prediction about a new smart device that you'll probably see hit the market in 12 to 24 months. I've been thinking about it, and it's the only way I can see a solution to one of the current big problems we have. Um, I have a question on preventing venomous snakes from showing up all around your property. I have a reason you might want to choose Coinbase when you buy crypto beyond all the reasons we've ever talked about. Real short segment. And a reminder about my presentation coming up at the Dollar Vigil Anti-Summit on Thursday. Uh, Thursday, I think 12.15, something like that. Early in the uh, day I will be presenting. All right. So I also wanted to go ahead and get you started out with uh, reminding you about our sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, is Jam Bullion. You know, I'm big on crypto 
And I always have people say, but man, I believe in silver and gold. I do not see them as mutually exclusive. Um, I believe in actual, you know, um, diversity in your portfolio of assets. You, it's, financial advisors throw around terms like well diversified all the time, but that, you know, it means like you have like five different categories of stocks and bonds you're in. Well, no, you're all in nothing but paper assets denominated in dollars. You're not diversified. And you know what? Some financial advisors are really good at that. That's great. Let them do that part for you. But you also need to diversify beyond that. Your preps are one means of diversification. Cash on hand is another means of diversification. Cryptocurrency is another means of diversification. And gold and silver, yet another means of diversification. See, diversity actually means diversity. And silver and gold have a track record almost as long as history, or, I'm sorry, as civilization itself of being used as money and being valuable assets. But why jam bullion? Well, you get a discount if you're an MSB member. Your order ships free. And I can talk to the president of the company directly if there's ever a problem. And they have prices that are as good or better than all the big giant national silver houses like Lear Capital, Monix, Atmex, etc. So you pay less, you get free shipping, you get a discount, and you got somebody that can be an advocate for you if there's a problem. I haven't had to do it in like eight years, but I can. So my question to you would be, why would you buy your silver and gold from anybody else? They support the show you love, and you got all that going for you, too. Next up today, BulkAmmo.com. Man, I don't know when the ammo shortage is going to go away, but I do know this. Buy what you can when you can get it. Keep an eye on Bulk Ammo. They have a lot of stuff still available. Great prices and lightning-fast shipping. Strong supporter of the show. They've been with us for, I think, seven years now. Check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. And remember, yes, they also do discount for MSB members. All right. So, quote of the day I have for you today by George McDonald was, to be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. I think this is true because I can love a person I don't trust. There's, there's different types of love that we as humans have for other humans. You have kind of the generalized, like, you know, the Buddha form of love, love all, right? Love everybody. You know, love for humanity and mankind, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about loving of an individual. And we can love an individual in truth because they're a brother or a sister. Like, you know, I mean actually someone who you are physically blood-related to. We can love someone because we've chosen to over time, and we've fallen in love with them. We can love someone because they're a parent. We can love a child. And that love may be unwavering. We may love them unconditionally. In other words, not that we will not hold them accountable things, but our love is not a condition. That no matter what, we will love them. But that same person, we cannot trust. We cannot trust. Because life has taught us, a specific, specifically maybe in certain instances, this person cannot be trusted. I love my grandkids. I do not trust that they will always tell me the truth because the kids. Kids lie about where they got the cookie, etc., right? But when you find someone that you truly do trust, and when I say you trust them, you mean if this person tells me something, I may not believe they're right, but I will never believe that they're lying. The person can be wrong, but not lying. If you truly believe you were abducted by space aliens, you're not lying when you say it. All right, just to give you an extreme example. 
And I, two things here. I think then the greatest compliment is to be both loved and trusted. That's, that's one thing. And the other reason I've always loved this quote is this is something I believe that brands need to understand. Because the similarity between love and trust is that when it is broken, it is almost impossible to repair. So whether it be the trust that your friend has for you or your brother has for you or whatever, breaking trust is a huge mistake. Or if it's your customers, breaking trust is a huge mistake. Once broken, trust may be more difficult to regain than hurting someone where they decide they don't love you anymore. They may actually be able to forgive if there wasn't a trust violation. It was something else. It wasn't that you broke their trust. You did something or said something that hurt them. They may find it easier to forgive than trust. But, and this is where they are like almost like fraternal twins, trust and love. The quickest way, especially with a romantic partner, that you can destroy love is to break trust. To be trusted is a greater compliment than to be loved. George MacDonald. All right. So my first one today was something I've been meaning to talk about. I've mentioned it in passing a bunch of times. Um, but I got an email today from Samantha. And uh, if I can actually find it, here it is. I must have everything in reverse chronological order. Okay, fixed it in the mailbox. So this article popped up, of all places, as a suggestion from Facebook. I'm going to tell you why that's not surprising here in a second. How many decades exactly have we been trying to cure cancer? Phase two trials of a vaccine have just started using dun 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 mRNA technology. And it's an article on futurism.com. And I have a link in the show notes for you today as well, where you can uh, read that article if you want to. But this is something I said way, way back at the very beginning of this talk of vaccines when they, they announced that these companies like Moderna and Pfizer were going to use mRNA, experimental gene therapy, okay, because that's what it is. Again, Moderna, in their filing to the SEC, when they went public, described the technology itself as an experimental gene therapy. That's what they put in their paperwork to the SEC, page 19. You can look it up if you want to. And that's what this is, and that's what it has been, and that's what it will always be. And you, you, basically changing it to, well, it's a vaccine, is changing the dictionary. It's Newspeak. So that they could qualify it as a vaccine and roll it out as a vaccine because vaccines and medications are treated differently. Have you ever noticed when there's a commercial for a vaccine, and not even these vaccines, right? There's a commercial for, like, the shingles vaccine or whatever. You don't get a giant list of side effects at the end of it because it's not a medication. It's a vaccine. You know, they, they tell you about something that's for your heartburn, and they have to tell you that it causes any leakage, right? But they, they tell you about a vaccine. They don't have to tell you this whole litany of side effects. Isn't that interesting? So that's why they changed it, because if it was a drug, well, then you'd have to list all the side effects every time you talked about it. But this is what I've been trying to say about this stuff, and I, I wonder if maybe people have gotten the wrong idea about the technology itself. mRNA, genetic therapy, 
may be one of the greatest gifts to humanity from the world of medicine and science to ever come along when used for things like this type of cancer treatment. And this is what you have to understand about, this is actually a cautionary concept as to why we would not want to use it the way that it's being used now. So you have to think about this like the smartest smart bomb ever developed where you can hit a target from 5,000 miles away within one millimeter of accuracy with a bomb. And then what you do is you load up huge old-school World War II bombers with millions upon millions of them and randomly drop them. And it will I know that might be hard to make sense of, but it will make perfect sense when I explain how these vaccines are used to treat cancer and how they're being used in these trials. And what this is what people invested in Moderna for, not vaccines for the masses, for this use of this technology specifically. We're not talking about making a vaccine and saying that this person over here is at high risks for small cell lung cancer or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Because it's not a vaccine in the traditional sense in that it's not something that we do to a person to prevent the illness in the future. That's how everything we've ever called a vaccine has been looked at until now as we're changing terminology. There are elements that are vaccine-like. Because if I use a drug to treat you, what I do is I attack the pathogen. And then hopefully I knock it back enough that your body's innate immunity kicks in, takes over and finishes the battle. This is true with an antibiotic. So people think, well, penicillin cures this bacterial infection, whatever it is. No, 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 no. Penicillin kills that particular bacterium. We can use it to treat that illness. But without that person having an effective immune system, the bacteria alone, or the antibiotic alone, will not cure them. This is why people that are immuno, severely immunocompromised, like are like bubble boys, because we can't just cure a disease if there's no immune system to finish the job. So a conventional drug knocks back the problem to where the problem is weak and sufficient that the body can finish the job and, and end it. Okay? A vaccine, or a vaccine like genetic therapy, revs up the immune system, and the immune system itself does all the work. It never directly attacks the problem. It indirectly kills the problem off by turning the immune system on and saying, go kill this thing. So if we think about it from a very basic and, and, and I believe incredibly effective vaccine, smallpox, the body becomes alerted to what the smallpox virus looks like. And as soon as it shows up, it attacks it and it kills it. We don't treat the smallpox, right? And we don't give a person who has smallpox a smallpox vaccine. Make sense? We don't do that. And we don't give smallpox vaccine to somebody that's already had smallpox. We give vaccine of smallpox to somebody who has not yet had smallpox to develop immunity before they're attacked. The way the mRNA vaccines are used in 
cancer treatment is totally the opposite. We give the so-called vaccine to the patient after they get cancer. Think about that. That's why it's not really a vaccine, but it's vaccine-like. It's a pseudo-vaccine. Because it doesn't attack the cancer. It teaches the body to attack the cancer. Because our bodies are the best treatment of any disease. Our innate immunity, our immune system, is the thing that really cures. So the way these vaccines work for cancer treatment, and this is, we should not discard the tech because of the misuse of the tech and the lies about the tech being told right now. Bill gets non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Bill goes to the, the cancer treatment center. They remove the cancer cells from Bill. And on the fly, they make a vaccine treatment, right? A vaccine-like genetic therapy for Bill. That's very much like the vaccines being used for COVID. They inject it into Bill, and Bill's immune system goes, anything that looks like this must die. And it turns the... So instead of creating a hyperimmune response that can go into cytokine storm and attacks everywhere at once, which is what happens in certain, many cancer treatments, as we end up with cytokine storm. Same thing that happens in COVID to some patients. Instead of that, the immunoresponse of the individual is finely tuned to the specific cancer, right? Any mutations included that that person has. We've now told this body, this, and the thing about it is you can only treat, first has two cancers, you got to pick one. You can't do this with two cancers at the same time. How do I know all this? Because one of my best friends has a wife who's completing her master's in nursing, and it's one of the things she specialized her studies in. And I knew this before COVID started. had a very long discussion with her. I was amazed by what this technology is going to be able to do. Now, here's the Fenord. There is media reporting this accurately, like the article, which I have linked to, that Samantha sent me. There's also media saying COVID technology is going to cure cancer. Flipping it right around on its head. We, we, we've had this tech for a long time. It's only recently evolved to the point where they've begun to actually do trials, and it's actually already been used to treat certain cancers under right to try. So before there were even trials, there were like, well, this guy's going to die anyway, so he wants to do it. We want to try it. Let's do that. So instead of more formalized trials, there's been so, and it's been very promising, by the way. But now, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to hear more and more of this over the coming weeks, because of the wonderful COVID-19 vaccine, many cancer patients are going to live. So the tech was developed to treat cancer. Then it was taken and used as a carpet bomb to so-called make a vaccine for COVID-19. And now they're going to say that the COVID-19 vaccine has given us the cure for cancer or given us the potential cure for many types of cancer. You watch. You watch and see. I'm pro I promise it's going to happen. Um, next one. This comes from Clint. Podcast hosting question. Building my Bluehost WordPress site. Host my first podcast. Many people recommend hosting elsewhere. Uh, Libsyn or SoundCloud. 
linking to the MP on my site. What are the pros and cons? What do you recommend, Clint? All right. So, first of all, I am not sure, but I think Nicole Sauce hates Bluehost. I'm not sure about that, but just going to put that out there. You might want to contact her and see if maybe you should be going with a different host to begin with for WordPress. Now, hosting audio files. The, let's talk about why people recommend. We'll use Libsyn or use SoundCloud. Um, these services are generally free and unlimited. Exactly what the limits of unlimited are, I don't know. There are premium. They're like a freemium. Like you get these are free and you pay down the road if you want additional things. I don't know a ton about them because I've never considered them. Now, when I started, this is how, how old TSP is, there was no SoundCloud. Lipson did exist, as did some others. And that's what everybody said. Why, why are you paying for bandwidth? Because you're going to pay your, your, your hosting bill based on a couple things. How much space you need to hold your files, and audio files are large. And you're going to pay based on how much bandwidth you consume. I consume terabytes monthly of bandwidth. Lots of terabytes. Like, <laughs> I, I push the envelope with my host where I have up to 100 terabytes I can use a month. It's insane, right? Um, you don't have that problem starting out, and you're not going to have that problem for a long time. And building an audience to this size is a self-correcting problem. As you grow, you should be able to grow revenue if you get that large, and then you can correct along the way because money solves the problem. Okay? It wasn't exactly why I didn't use a host like Libsyn back then. They were new, and all of the tech for this type of audio hosting that was free was new. And of the other two or three options I can think of off the top of my head, the one that's still here is Libsyn, and then SoundCloud came along the way and has made it. But some of them are gone. So... Whenever anything is free or available for free, always worry, is it going to continue? And I, will, I did not do this as a hobby. I did this with the intent of creating a business, and I was not comfortable with my provider could go away. The next thing is, I believe that if I have a problem with technology, that I want the ability to make a phone call and say, hey, this shit isn't working, and have a reasonable expectation the person on the other side of the call would want to fix it for me. And I don't believe that you get that unless you're paying a bill. Unless you're paying for service, you're not a customer. You're a product. So I don't really know exactly what the revenue models for Libsyn and SoundCloud are today. I think sites like this are much more advanced than they were. And I know they have payable options now. And so that might be okay. Here's the next thing, though. How do you know they won't decide they don't want to host you because you said something offensive? Now, I know you might be thinking, but Jack, I'm going to do a podcast about baseball cards, you know, or something like that. Well... Five years ago, I would have said, yeah, use them. Don't worry about it. What I've seen happen in the last five years with people being demonetized, deplatformed, cut off, 
because of things not directly related to what they were doing with that service provider, but things they said elsewhere. Uh, they found a mean tweet from 10 years ago, things like that. Uh, no, I, I don't trust third parties like this that have the ability to shut you off if you're building something you, you plan on going the distance with. Okay? Next, it's not going to be that big of a deal to host your own audio files when you're getting started and have a couple dozen to a couple hundred listeners. Most hosting packages have enough headroom that that won't even move the needle. So you can start that way, and as you build an audience, you can upgrade your service as necessary. right? And you can move into like a bare metal server or something like that if you get there. right? But then you're talking like, God, I'm going to say 10,000 listeners before you really get to a point where your average host is either going to charge you too much or not want you anymore. That's what happened to me. And it was around 25,000 listeners. And, I mean, I remember the conversation. I was using HostGator, and, I, got, you know, they shut me off in the middle of the night. It was like 7.30. And this is by the time I had gone full-time. I was, you know, I was paying my bills from my website. And, uh, you know, it was, you basically shut down my business by shutting me off. And I, I got different levels of tech people on the phone. It took me over four hours to get them to turn me back on and give me time to migrate off. But I remember the one guy goes, holy, you know, holy F, you used 12 terabytes. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, that's not, I'm like, but you said it's unlimited. And then they backpedal. We don't really, it's not really a limit. It's what you're doing to other users. Well, because there's a limit. So there is that point where, I think it was six terabytes back then, whatever. There, there was a, there is a point where you will kind of break that shared hosting tolerance level. But for most people, you're never going to get there. And for people that are going to get there, what I would have done, what I would do differently today, if I was starting from the beginning again, I'd still use that kind of hosting. But I would monitor my own stats. And when I got up near that, you know, one terabyte a month level, that's when I, I and I'll tell you the money's there in a well-run podcast, to migrate. Now, the other side is, I think there's some huge, big-name podcasters using these services today. So, my my caveat then would be, if you're going to use them, have a migration plan. Have, like, go ahead and put your episodes, the audio files, on your own server so that you can quickly cut over if you ever get shut down. Because the space is not that big of a deal. Space is cheap. Bandwidth is the issue. And here's the thing you might think, well, I could be like 500 episodes in and they could cut me off. Yes. And it would take a long time to go back and link all 500 audio files to your posts. Sure. I can tell you, that 90% of your daily listening will come from your most recent 20 episodes. So at a minute an episode to do that, if you're slow, cut and paste and moving around, 20 minutes, and you've got, like, at least you're, you see you're back in the game at that point. 
Now, you might then really quickly have to upgrade your hosting very soon thereafter if you get a popular show. So I'm still of the, the viewpoint that having like, you know, a kind of like a mainstream brand as a host, Amazon Web Services, etc. Because I can't tell you how many people told me when I was going through this crap and the growing pains, man, Amazon Web Services, they can do everything. Even the, we just upgraded our server right around when COVID hit. And I brought on a new, like my two web guys that took care of everything for me for 10 years. They were just tired. They didn't want to do the job anymore. And I got a new guy. He's amazing. Honestly, he's better than the two of them put together. But even he said, he suggested some other options, like as we were pricing servers and all with Amazon. I'm like, no, no. And it's before Parler got hit, right? You know? And, um, I just knew. And I would say in the woke culture we're in, it's a bigger risk than ever. But getting started, it's cheap, it's easy. So hell, it can be free, I guess, still. So just what, so here's what I'm saying. Create, like, the way I run my server, I have like a, a directory that's like audio 2021 01, 02, 03, 04, like that for January, February, March. And then all the episodes are canonized in there. So do that. Create a folder for audio and then create a month, you know, sub-month and all. And then go ahead and when you FTP those files or however the hell you put them on, uh, SoundCloud or whatever, also upload them to your own server and just have them there. Here's another thing you could do to do this. Since you're going to find that most of your bandwidth is going to be consumed in your first few days to few weeks after an episode goes live. Like, I don't get a whole lot of people downloading and listening to episode 1100 when we're sitting here today at, what, uh, 2897. Upload it to both locations and then make a standard practice that once you get, let's say, two months done, go turn back the clock, say 20 episodes, 20 episodes a month, That's if you're doing five shows a week, right? Most people won't do that. It is the success formula, by the way. So let's say that it's June and you launch and you do, you know, do all your June shows. Then you do your July shows. When your July shows are finished, change the links on your June shows to use your own server. And always only be doing the current and one month back using the SoundCloud because it doesn't hurt anything. It won't affect your rankings or anything. Um, iTunes and Stitcher, et cetera, they don't care where they get the audio file. They just care that they can find it. So that would be a really cool way to like let them take the, the hit on the high download cycle but have your archive on your own server, and that would be cheap. Had I done that, I probably would have lasted a little longer with HostGator. Um, if you need a host recommendation... You can email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com, TSPC server, and I'll tell you the company I use and give you a link to them and all. It's not an affiliate or nothing. It's just, unless you're ready for a dedicated server, you're not ready for, ready for these guys yet. I'll just say that. So it's not something I'm going to recommend to the average member of the audience. Yeah, you, you know, on, on this next one, I, if you're a lawyer, especially like 
a money-grubbing ambulance chaser, lawyer, and ambulance being a metaphor here for anything that you can go after, this might be one to, to go after. You might want to use your powers for good, okay? Um, this comes from Tim. Tim says, Hi, Jack. I heard your last podcast where you and Joseph Simcox talked briefly about Nat Geo. You're 100% right, and I wanted to share my experience working there. I worked there for six years, from 2014 to 2020, in a handful of different positions, but within the last couple of years, especially the last year, I started getting censored about how political and biased they were, or concerned, I started getting concerned about how political and biased they were becoming. They really doubled down on the BLM stuff and were giving employees time off to mourn George Floyd. I have a ton of messed up stories about stuff I saw and witnessed there. But the biggest shock to me, and the reason I decided to quit, is when I was told by a senior vice president that I didn't have much of a future in the company because, quote, I'm a straight white male, end quote. Anyway, just wanted to share a little inside look at how crazy and messed up that company's become, especially under Disney. Shame, because I loved their stuff when I was a kid. But thanks for talking about it in your last episode. Tim, 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 Tim. Tim, Tim, Tim. I am all for a man following his conscience. But I swear to God, one of the most nefarious and righteous things you could have done was to pull what that, that reporter out of Houston, Fox Houston, just did, where she recorded her supervisors before she left. My God, you might own a little piece of National Geographic and maybe a little piece of the mouse himself if you had that man on tape saying that to you. And I just have to think that with all these damn lawyers out there that are so good at suing over bullshit, there has to be dozens or even hundreds of Tims in a company the size of Nat Geo. And wait, wait a minute, wait, wait, now we're saying Disney. Is there a potential, like, you know, massive lawsuit here or some sort of, is there something like a class action that only a segment of the group is the class? I, I don't know how. I, I just want to put a different spin on it. What if Tim was a gay black man and a senior vice president told him to his face, dude, I just want you to know, there's not much of a future for you here as a gay black male. Well, aside from the fact that, like, you know, Al Sharpton and what's his name, the other guy, Jesse Jackson, would be, you know, roping in out of helicopters to race bait um, and be right about it for a change. I mean, it would have been instant lawsuit. And it would have been instant, what do you need for us to cover this up and make it go away? How's it any different? See, I think that if you're targeted or not given opportunities because of your sexual orientation, the color of your skin, or your religion, and keep going down that whole EOE world, that it's wrong. In fact, I believe that it's criminal. Now, if he said to you, you know, Tim, you're just not very good. I don't think you do a very good job. And uh, because of that, I, I don't think you have a future here. I'd say, Tim, maybe you need to do a better job. 
And then you might say, well, Jack, I actually did a great job. But, you know, they don't like white males there. And I would have said, well, that's, that's a bit of a burden to prove now, isn't it? I mean, I'm just wondering, is this, this senior VP, is he willing to perjure himself in court? If he was summoned, he might be. But he, he should be made acutely aware that that's what he's doing. I mean, wow. I knew it was, I knew that it was there. I knew that it was a thing. I didn't realize they'd become so brazen as to become so stupid is to say things like that. And, and I really do think, I really do think that we need to start seeing some lawsuits about some things like this. I really do. You guys in the military that are constantly being threatened, this purge of senior leadership in the military under this woke shit, y'all need, and not JAG, I'm telling you, wherever this is happening, you guys need to start fighting back. You need to start pushing back. Um, totally different subject. Kevin says, can you do a roundtable or mornings on broody chickens and ducks? Specifically, how to encourage chickens and ducks to go broody, then how to handle them once they are broody. We finally have fertile eggs. I've had one chicken go broody, but the eggs were not fertile at the time. She ended up not eating, got weak, and then had an accident with our dog that loves chickens. No one saw or heard what happened before uh, happened to her to die. She came up, became soup. Um, we have three other chickens from that batch. One is sitting on eggs five to eight hours a day. I want to encourage her to sit longer. All right. Um, if she's going back to them, she may not need you to do anything except leave her alone. Let's start out with that bird. So if she's sitting for five to eight hours a day, she's probably sleep, sitting for eight hours or more a night. And this time of year, depending on where you live, that may be more than enough. And what I'm saying is, once a bird is taking care of eggs, you need to trust the bird knows more than you. We've had situations where I'm like, I really, you know, like the eggs start hatching and we candle them. And I'm like, I, I don't think either of those are going to hatch. I think they're both bad eggs. And two days later, one egg is pushed away. And the other egg is hatched because it was just a late hatcher. And she'll know when it's time to give up, and she knows when to keep trying. That's an example of trusting the bird. So right now, this batch of eggs, you might not need to do anything. You mentioned dogs. When birds go broody, there's some things that they need. And chief among them is to be left alone left alone so they need ways to be quiet and this often could be like if you have like a walk-in chicken coop and your girl has gone broody back in the corner then just taking like some hay bales or straw bales and putting them like stack them too high and kind of close off that corner now look don't close her where she can't get in and out leave a little opening right and that will give her more of a secure feeling and the other birds will be less likely to bother her The other issue you can have with, and it's chickens more than ducks, it's just because the chicken says I'm taking care of eggs doesn't always mean the rooster's like, okay. Like, sometimes that rooster's still going to try to breed that chicken and cause trouble. So sometimes you need to separate your broody from the flock. We'll get to that in a second. The other thing, though, is I don't think there's much you can do 
to get a chicken or a duck to go broody. I, I really don't think there is. I, I think that that bird is either has a predisposition for it and will express the predisposition, or it won't. And certain breeds are more predisposed to be broody than others. And you can generally look up charts on this with different duck uh, breeds and different uh, chicken breeds, and you'll find, hey, the, the, you know, for instance, that like a peckin is not very likely to go broody, uh, where uh, a duck like a buff is, is highly likely to go broody. You'll find that uh, birds like cochins are, are very broody chicken breeds, and specifically like bantam cochins are, and bantam silkies. Those two are like crazy broody. And you're right when you said your one got sick because she went broody on infertile eggs. So that's a different issue. If you have a chicken trying to go broody on infertile eggs, you need to, as soon as you see it happen, take the eggs away, and you need to constantly harass her every time she tries to sit. Right? You need the exact opposite of what you do to try to keep the bird in a broody state, which is leave her alone. You need to push her out. You need to, to, to make her go eat. You need to, you might even want to confine her for a day. You know, in a, in a, like a small cage or hutch or something like that. Make sure she has food and water. Keep her in the shade and then put her back with the flock. Disrupt her routine because, and if it doesn't always work, sometimes a broody bird without the ability to raise eggs will die. They're that dedicated. It's a biological imperative. They don't, don't do it because they want to. They do it because they have to. On the other side of it, disturbance, etc., can break it. So um, what we've always tried to do is find an area away from the other birds. And once she sits, if she's not already chosen an area away from the other birds, move her. Because only one of two things are going to happen. She's going to sit on the eggs, and it'll probably happen instantly. Or she's going to abandon them. She's going to instantly... We've done it, we've moved them, put them in, they look at the eggs, and they pop a squat, and they're done. And when that happens, they're, they're, you've, you've not broken it. And if they do break, well, then you don't get babies, but you don't end up... You, you have a better chance in the long term, because sometimes when they're left with other birds and stuff like that, they're more likely to break. And again, if your rooster's really aggressive and you don't have a lot of hens, you know, the, I think you said you had, what, four? Four birds? Um, three other chickens. So I don't know if your eggs are fertile because you've got them from somebody else, but if you have them from your own rooster and he's got three hens and all of a sudden one's gone, he's like, what the hell? Now, here's the next thing. You also need to recognize... When that bird's saying they want to go broody, because you don't want to disturb it if that's what's going on. So you need to keep an eye out for the fact that, like, they're putting eggs somewhere. Because what generally happens is you have your chicken coop or whatever. And you go out every day and you get the eggs. So prospective mama hen's like, where the hell's my egg? I, I, I know I put an egg here. I'll put another one here. And she comes back and goes... Where the hell's my egg? What, what, the, what the hell? And after a while, she realizes the human or a snake or the damn dog, somebody's taking my egg. 
So what will she do since she has a biological imperative telling her, you must be a mommy? She will find a place to hide her eggs. And what do we do? Oh, look, they laid an egg over here. I better go get that. If you see an egg somewhere that's outside of the norm, leave it for a day. It'll be okay. And if you come back and you see two eggs there and then three eggs there, that bird is setting up to sit. They don't work like humans. We're working like, I want to give the bird 12 eggs and have her incubate. No. She lays the eggs. She determines when she has enough good eggs. Somehow they know when they're good or bad. And then she sits. And she lays them and she does not incubate them. She does not incubate them until she has enough eggs to stop laying and incubate. Because she wants all those birds to hatch within a day or two of each other. It makes her job easier. Now, this is very instinctive. She's not rationalizing it the way I am, but that's what's going on. So this is another thing that can happen. You say she's sitting for four hours a day or three hours a day. Not really. It just looks like that to you. She's staying there, getting her nest ready, laying the next egg, and you're trying to put her back. Now you're disturbing her routine. She might bail out. So it's more about providing them a quiet, safe space where they feel that they can do what they want to do and then not breaking the routine. My most recent, I've got right now, I've got seven beautiful little birds. Uh, they're a cross between an old English uh, game bantam rooster. That's what Billy Roy actually is. And uh, a beautiful, um, uh, what is she? She's a, uh, God, now I can't, is it Buff Orbington? And they are, they are just like this beautiful blue color. But all of a sudden, we started finding eggs. We had a moving blanket over a 55-gallon fish tank that needs to be repaired. It's got leaks in the seams. And it's just out in my garage for now, and I put a moving blanket over to protect it. It made like a hammock. And I looked, and there's an egg in the thing. I'm like, huh, I know what's going on here, so I left it. And then another egg and another egg, and we went on vacation. And about halfway through my vacation, my caretaker emails me and says, or texts me and says, um, the brown chicken's missing. I'm like, oh, she's in the garage. He's like, well, I checked. I'm like, she's, um, go check where the fish tank by the dartboard is. I checked. I don't see her there. There was a little dartboard that's for my granddaughter that has magnets that stick to it. And it was like over that. And she had gone underneath that inside that hammock and he just didn't see her. And she, you know, we kind of watched her and kind of did the math. And like, okay, she's like a couple days from hatching. So we put her inside a cage right in the same spot a couple days before they hatched so the cats wouldn't get to the babies or anything. And she sat immediately. So here's the thing. If you're going to try a move, you want to make sure if, if that bird is really sitting, when it's time to go to sleep, she'll be on the eggs. If she's on the eggs during the day, but not at roosting time, she's either not committed or you think she's sitting when she's just getting ready to sit. But once you can go out and she's sitting on the eggs at sundown, she's committed. That's as committed as it gets because it's the bird's instinct is to roost. She's putting herself at risk for those eggs. What you want to do is you want to do your move as quickly and quietly and gently as possible after sundown. Because she's, when you do that, all she's going to see is eggs. And she's going to sit. 
And if she wakes up on those eggs in that new location, so be it. And we've been nine out of ten with our moves doing that. And I, I do believe that if there, if, if she's happy and content and doesn't have any problems, rooster's not bothering her or whatever, leave her where she is, wherever she picks. If there's a harassment going on, you're, you're going to be better off with a move. I, I hope that's helpful. If there's anything that can get birds to be more predisposed to brood is great diets, great quality water, lots of abundance. Because I think the biological clock is kicked in by, hey, my offspring have a really good chance of surviving. The other thing I think that might do it, though, is actually, but I wouldn't do it, is stress in the other direction. Stress in the other direction. Where the, the biological imperative to reproduce becomes because uh, survival becomes uncertain. So I want to make the species survive. That's, I mean, that's, well, you could do it with fruit trees. You could stress a fruit tree and get it to produce fruit earlier than it would have otherwise. But I, I wouldn't take that approach. So really good food, really good water, all that jazz like you should be doing anyway. Here's a quick little prediction for you. I predict in the next year to two, we're going to have a whole new family of smart devices. And they're not going to look or work much differently than your smartphones do right now. But they're going to be mass marketed. So I think there's probably some stuff kind of sorted that does this already. Like you could jailbreak an iPhone, not use it on the cellular network and use it Wi-Fi and probably do a lot of this with it. But so much more than that. There'll be a device type, not a single brand, right, that will use a new open source operating system that will have apps that literally anybody can make any app they want for anything they want, and there won't be any gatekeepers for it. Now, there may be some sort of um, assurance against malware and stuff like that, but it won't be like, oh, oh, you're Gab. There's racists on your platform, so you can't be in the App Store. There won't be any of that, because that's a very subjective thing. Anyway, by the way, there's... I'll use that as an example, because there is totally a scumbag, horrible, repulsive, racist element to Gab users. It's also the minority. It's also the minority. And you block them, and then they go away. And otherwise, it's a pretty decent free speech platform. That free speech means even the speech that you don't like, right? But, I mean, that would be an example. Or, oh, oh, you, you support the orange man, you know? You support the Archman Parlor, you have to go out of the App Store and the Google Play Store, right? Like, they, There's going to be a place that makes that irrelevant. And I don't know if initially it will be a phone or just look like one, right? So there is a whole mess with you know, SIM card this and all this different crap. But I think almost everybody owns a phone. Almost all phones today can operate as a hotspot. And you may see some transitional period where people carry two devices. And so if it's you know Wi-Fi enabled, you can jump on your smartphone with your alternative device that actually believes in Internet freedom and will probably be empowered toward using technologies like specific crypt cryptocurrency technologies, IPFS and other things. Gab announced that there was going to be a Gab phone. 
I never heard another word about it, and my gut was, you don't have enough money for that. But I could be wrong. But just a straight prediction is that there's going to be some form of smart device tied to marketplace app center that's going to subvert, circumvent all the bullshit. And it will be in, maybe not its final form, definitely, but in full form within two years. And probably some version thereof, prototypes, etc., um, of things that are going to be bigger than just you know one-offs or you can hack this phone this way or whatever. I know technically this can already be done with the Android operating system. Because there's, you know, the official Google Play Store, but then there are things like Aptoid and stuff like that that any any Android user can use. And there's all kinds of ways to hack, etc. on this. But that's not what I mean. Because I know I'm going to get a rash of emails. Look, you can do this. I understand that. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're going to be able to go to a website... I th I'm sure Amazon will hate it, so it probably won't be on Amazon, but who knows, maybe it will be. And you'll be able to buy, you know, the Jim Bog Thingamabob 3R1S and just turn it on and it'll just work right out of the gate. And, you know, maybe it's even a phone as long as there's a Wi-Fi connection. I, I don't know. I mean, that's definitely a thing already with technologies like Skype and Zoom and stuff, right? So um, there's more and more social media that's enabling voice conversations across the social media network, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, I've made phone calls on MeWe Messenger because the person I needed to talk to, I didn't have their phone number, but they were on MeWe, and I was like, will this work? And yeah, I even have, I remember one guy I called, he was like, hello? Like, I didn't know we could do this. I'm like, until well, today, I didn't either. So we're going to get to a point, I think, soon, Where I don't even know how much people are going to need the conventional idea of cellular networks other than 5G becomes a data backbone. It's, um, it's coming, guys. It's coming. Because markets are going to market. Next, Aaron asked me, um, do you have any hack for keeping rattlesnakes out of the yard away from our house? I keep the rodent population knocked down. I have mesh around my perimeter fence that circles the yard that I let chickens free range in. I still find the occasional rattlesnake that needs to be relocated down the canyon. Any ideas to help? Um, first of all, Aaron, it sounds like you know what you're doing. Um, and I'm glad you're not killing them if you don't have to. So if you have the skill set and the tools, the equipment necessary to safely relocate venomous snakes, I am somebody who has a deep respect for reptiles and amphibians, and I do the same thing. I absolutely do the same thing. If you are not 100% confident, don't. You're better off with a good club to the head. I don't like it. I hate when people try to brag about it like they've done something really brave because it's inherently safer to kill a snake than it is to capture it. Inherently so. Uh, but, you know, a good snake hook and a set of tongs, and if you have any idea what you're doing, you, you should be as... You, it's not That's not the snake that ever bites people. The snake that's clearly visible... You have the right equipment and the training and the knowledge to deal with it. It's always the ones where you break the rules or you don't know what you're doing or the one you don't see and you don't know it's there. Um, there were several people in one year bitten in Florida, for instance, where apparently 
there was like an explosion in the population of pygmy rattlers around a nursery, and they and pygmy rattlers are really little. That's why they're called pygmy. And they had gotten into some of the trees, and like each one of them had figured out, hey, this big giant pot, it's a pretty cool place to hang out. Shady in here. Occasionally something got by I can eat. And they had gone into these pots, and like it was like three people within four months, bitten on the fingers when they reached in the pot. One took it home. I think the other two got bit at stores, but they all tracked them back to one nursery. Like that's you don't see the snake. You reach in. The snake does what the snake does, which is defense, right? And it it tries to protect itself, and it bites you. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this stuff because I want people to realize that there is reason to worry about this um, without being stupid and, and scared. I have a good friend. Actually, I have a, uh, a good – my son's good friend. He grew up with this guy. Um, we got to see their family a few years ago, and they had lost a dog. And they had a little, like a little yappy dog, and uh, they moved big, beautiful, you know, new housing development. And the dog got bit in the face by a rattlesnake in the backyard because the rattlesnake bowed up and rattled. And the dog, instead of understanding what it was, like got all yippy and yappy, went at the snake, and the snake bit it in the face, and it died. So, like, this can be a problem. So worrying about trying to minimize it is not is not overthinking things. However, there's no silver bullet here. There really isn't. Um, what you've done is more than most people would do. Mesh around your perimeter fence. I mean, that's going to – now, the thing is, they can climb – I mean, rattle, rattlers aren't great climbers. In fact, most of our – in fact, none of our venomous snakes are great climbers in the United States. Corals just don't want to. And all of our vipers are heavy-bodied and prefer not to, but they can. Right. Snakes also – they're creatures of habit. When it's cold, they want to be warm. And when it's too hot, they want to be cool. And so they only go out in the open to warm up. They like to stay concealed as possible. Lots of things eat them. They know this, you know, instinctively. So clearing out high brush and things like that is one way to deal with it. But in the end, the greatest way to reduce the number of venomous snakes you have is to increase the number of non-venomous snakes you have. It's a lot like planting something somewhere so a thing you call a weed won't grow there. Nature abhors a vacuum. Niches get filled. And if you have them in your area, any form of king snake would be the snake that I would try to encourage to exist on your property. And you know why they call king snakes king snakes? Because they eat other snakes. And their favorite thing to eat is rattlesnakes. So do not relocate non-venomous snakes. Try to minimize rattlesnake habitat, but understanding you're never going to get rid of all snake habitat, if you can encourage king snakes, that would be helpful as well. What I will tell you doesn't work. Snake repellent. They have these various products called snake repellent. They're made out of like cinnamon and shit like that. If they have any effect, it's so short term is to be ineffectual. It just doesn't work. And I've had people say, I used it and I didn't see any snakes. Well, before you used it, how many snakes did you see? One. Okay. See how that works? So, I mean, that's it's really about, it's about clearing out 
the things that are attractive to them. And I would say the other thing is making sure that you minimize the potential for accidental bites. That's the most important thing. When you have high grass and stuff like that, not only does it give them a place to be, but it gives them a place where you can accidentally step on them or whatever. And uh, there is a huge component to microclimate. So our next door here, next door is the website, nextdoor.com. It's like Facebook for your neighborhoods. The people that live several miles away from me, they're insanely afraid of snakes. And I don't mean a particular person or family. I mean in general. Like people are just afraid of snakes. And they're always posting pictures of snakes. And they're always freaked out. We just had one Fort Worth Animal Control went to this lady's house, and he's like, yeah, that's a moccasin. That's a cottonmouth. And and me and three other people are like, no, it's not. He works for animal control. You don't know. He works for animal control. We do know. That's a plain belly water snake. It's not a moccasin. Well, look at its head. It's because it's, it's called mimicry and, you know, the whole thing. But I will say this. There is a specific area of a few miles down toward the lake. These people find copperheads all the time. All the time. The rest of the area, it's, it's a copperhead. No, that's a, that's a Texas rat snake. How do you know? Because I've moved 14 out of them in my chicken coop this, this year. That's, but so if you can figure out what about your area is attractive and alter that, you'll probably have less. But it sounds like the area you live just has a lot of rattlesnakes, and it's just something you have to coexist with. So hopefully that will be helpful to you. Uh, next, real quick, I have had quite a few people ask, Jack, when it comes to getting started with cryptocurrencies, buying cryptocurrency, etc., why are you so big on Coinbase? <sighs> Up until now, it's been mainly because it's safe and it's easy. Right? I mean, it's, it's such a simple site to use. And as a person that gets a few emails a day, lots of questions... Over the years, it has become my knowledge that if you talk about something, people will identify you with the thing, and they may start to see you as like their technical support. So, you know, you got people asking you, like, exactly how do I place a limit order but have it cancel? And, like, I, I'm sorry, guy. I, you know, on Binance, or I'm, I don't even use Binance, so I don't know, man. Like, so I want something that when people are brand new, And I'll just say this, I want to buy a few hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, maybe I want to buy a little bit of Algorand, whatever, you know, like I want to buy some, get it moved into a wallet and what have you. That I'm not going to have to answer 100 questions. That I can feel comfortable, and I'll be honest, when you set up a Coinbase account, and you put at least $100 worth of Bitcoin in your account, you fund it with $100, and that means a little more than 100 because you have to pay fees. After you do that, you get $10 worth of Bitcoin for free. So your $100 becomes $110. I think that's a good idea. I think that's a 10% return out of the gate. Conversely, I get $10 in Bitcoin too. I don't hate money. Of all the easy on-ramps, they're the one that pays me fairly well just to recommend people go there. So that's made it all easy. However, there's now a, a bigger reason. It's been the case for over a month now. You can buy Bitcoin or 
any cryptocurrency that Coinbase sells with PayPal on Coinbase. And on my notes it says, parentheses, again, long time ago, that's how it was. And then PayPal got into like this, do we want to be in the crypto business? And, you know, since people can like say, hey, um, I didn't get my thing and you can get charged back so easily on PayPal. PayPal's like, we don't want to be part of this. And then so for a while you could use, like if you had a PayPal debit card, like a MasterCard, you could use that because Coinbase is happy to take a credit card if the credit card will approve the transaction. That lasted like a month. And then your PayPal debit card wouldn't work either. It would be denied. And you were left with wiring money from your bank account, etc., or having a credit card that would work. A few months ago, a couple months ago, I guess, you know, with PayPal getting in the Bitcoin business and all going, why are we, this is transactions, it would be money. We, we make money. See, PayPal makes money whenever money moves. That's how they make their money. One of my biggest expenses that I have every year is my merchant fees to PayPal and Stripe, right? That's how they make money. So it's like, there's millions of dollars over there. Not everybody's going to use PayPal to hold Bitcoin because it's not really the greatest place to do it right now. And so I think what happened is some backdoor reaching out like, um, we'll let people use PayPal, but we're going to have to have some way that we handle this whole back charge thing. And they worked it out, and now you can. It is almost instantaneous. And I like that. I like that a person can just, if you have a PayPal account, most of you do, you set up a Coinbase account, once it's approved, you can buy whatever you want. How fast is it? I'm glad you asked. Um, I am... You know, I do most of my holdings, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and now are pirate chain. But I do hold certain altcoins. And I do like some that are stakeable, meaning you can earn a return on them. And Algorand was cheap, and I wanted to buy some. And so when um, Coinbase said you can use PayPal, I'm like, okay, do I have to buy Bitcoin and exchange it? Nope. You could just buy Algorand. I think I went from... Now, Algorand is a much faster cryptocurrency to transfer than Bitcoin is. But I think I went from... I want to buy it to here's $250 to here's my Algorand to I'm going to send my Algorand over to my Exodus wallet and I'm going to click... You know, I'm going to enter the code that they texted to me to confirm it and... Ding, it's in my Exodus wallet in about two minutes. So not only did I use Coinbase to buy it using PayPal funds, I took custody of it in two minutes. And I've that's not how it works when you're wiring money from your bank account, etc. And so to me, I would just say, if you've been wondering about using Coinbase, there's a great reason to use it right there. The only exchange I know of that's that quick using PayPal. And I don't know of many that even take PayPal, to tell you the truth. Now, I know people are going to say, but it's KYC. And okay, look, look. I have tried to explain this so many times. You don't go into cryptocurrency only for the purpose of having invisible money. There's different types of cryptocurrency. If you have Bitcoin, it's traceable on the blockchain. It's not a privacy coin. And if you're going to buy it with money from a bank account or a merchant account or whatever, it's a public transaction. Now, it's not public-public to me, but it's public to anybody that wants to audit or look at you. 
So I hold Bitcoin that, yeah, it's, they could probably figure out it's mine. That's okay. If everything goes the way I expect in the future, it'll be my source of income by borrowing against it. I'm okay with that. There's different classifications. This is for your, you know, non-fence post-cryptocurrency. Just saying. It's it's also like you're getting started. You're talking a few hundred bucks here and there. Like, man, you know, the, you're not outsmarting the NSA or whatever. Just understand that. All right, last, just real quick, I want to remind you guys, I'm going to be speaking at the Dollar Vigilante Summit on Thursday, uh, Thursday afternoon, early in the afternoon. And you can learn more on the website, sign up there and all. Again, I think it's 97 bucks to attend. It's a two-day event, amazing lineup of speakers. Um, and check it out, and I'd love to uh, to have you guys use my link because I will make a few bucks. I don't even know how much. I didn't even ask. Uh, I, 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 didn't even, I didn't even ask for the link. Like they said, do you want to speak? And I'm like, well, what is it? And they sent me a link like so I could see what it was. And I'm like, yeah, I'll speak at that. And then... They said, well, do you want an affiliate link? And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell my audience. So sure. I, I'm just really honored to be able to speak at this event. Um, of course, Jeff Berwick is is hosting it because Dollar Vigilante. That's his thing. But here's some of the other speakers. Doug Casey, Mark Farber, Dick, uh, Rick Rule, uh, Andrew Henson. Um, just amazing people. Uh, Raphael Laverde, that guy is awesome. He's not as well known as many of the other people, but he is a incredibly intelligent individual um just some really great people and uh, i i think it would be uh worth your time and effort to make an investment in uh the knowledge that will be gained by this so with that let's go ahead and wrap things up reminding you you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com and help out the show no matter what you buy that's t-s-p-a-z tspaz.com you'll find all my amazon reviews there If it's there and reviewed, I own it, spent my money on it, I love it, I would buy it again, or I wouldn't recommend it. That's my commitment to you. In the few instances where an item was given to me by the, the, the product manufacturer, that's noted. It's not the case here. Uh, nobody at Anova will talk to me. I wish they would. I'd like to work out something for you guys on a discount for MSB, but I've never gotten a response from them. Uh, but I love sous vide cooking. It's become a huge thing in our lives. And Anova, in my opinion, makes the best sous vide cookers out there. It is Prime Day right now. Uh, Amazon ends at midnight tonight. So, hey, you know, there's lots of good deals on Amazon. This, the, the Anova uh, Nano is on sale for $99. That's a little less than 25% off. It's probably one of the best cookers you can get your hands on. I also want to point something out. There's like the full version, the, 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 the higher end Anova cooker. It is not any better from a performance standpoint. It has features. Basically, it becomes, it goes on your Wi-Fi network, becomes a device, and you can control it remotely and monitor it on your phone, even if you're out of Bluetooth range. That's the difference. hundred bucks more for that. Um, if you're going to use it, go ahead. I own it because it was on sale for 129 bucks when I bought it. At 199 versus 99 for the Nano, I ain't buying it. I'd buy the Nano. In fact, today I broke down. I've been threatening to do this a while. I bought a Nano for, for myself, so I have two sous vide cookers, so I can have two different things cooking at two different temperatures at the same time. I've always said that would be cool, and that's what I did. And if I was going to buy my first one today, unless I knew I'd use the networking features, I'd buy the Nano anyway. So 
Definitely check it out and read the, the write-up on it. There's a lot of cool other things you can do with it other than just make steak. Like you can make boiled eggs, you can make creme brulee, you can make cheese, you can make yogurt. And we've had shows where we've talked about all kinds of hacks that sous vide is good for. You want this in your life, check it out. And remember, tspaz.com whenever you're going to shop online. And it is Prime Day, which is like, oh, it's like, you know, it's, it's like Cyber Monday in the summer. Right. So lots of good deals on Amazon right now. All right, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day before my voice totally gives out here. And uh, song of the day is uh, by Josh Kadison. I think is how you say his name, K-A-D-I-S-O-N. The song is called My Father's Son. And this was uh, supposed to be for yesterday in recognition of, Friday, uh, of Sunday being Father's Day. And, of course, I preempted yesterday's show, so I didn't want to skip this song. I would say that if you're a father... Or know that at some point you're going to become one. If the way this person feels about their father ends up being the way your son or daughter feels about you, you know, your daughter obviously wouldn't be your father's son, be your father's daughter. But if the general sentiments of this song are something that your adult, um, you know, your adult child, I guess is the way to put it, would, would mirror, you did your job well. There's also kind of an underpinning in this song that the father's really a warrior who fights a different kind of battle than we think of when we think of the word war and has his scars, but he hides them. He doesn't hide them because he's ashamed of them. He hides them because they're his to bear, and it's better that his children don't know. His kids don't need to know For instance, you know, let's say last month that they were a hair's breadth from not being able to pay the rent. And some of the things they didn't get because dad had to say no were the difference between paying the rent and not. They don't need to know that, you know, half the company just got laid off. And dad's like, man, I was so close to being one of them. I'm so, if there's another layoff, there's no way I'm making it. They don't need to know that. They don't need to know the sacrifices. They don't need to know the pain. That's his to bear. And when I think about this, the way I come at it is, as kids, there's so much we don't know. And most little boys look at their dad when they're little boys, the way this guy clearly did in this song. They're heroes, you know. But the thing is, kids look at their father's Mother's too, but this is Father's Day, so we'll just put that aside. But they look at their dad as like being amazing, even if he's a crappy father. Will they still feel that way about you when they've grown up? It is only when a man faces the world and faces the battles that leave the scars that are talked about in this song and does so either with courage or cowardice, that he can look to his father and know which one his father chose, to be courageous or to be a coward. And there's times, you know, when you do things that some people may look at and think, I would have done it differently. I would have been more brave, whatever. And, and discretion is a better part of valor. But when it comes down to it, if you're... You know, being a kid's dad basically can just be being a sperm donor. But if you're a kid's father, 
then you always face those challenges with courage. And you don't worry about whether or not that kid knows it while they're a kid. You know that when they must face life, they'll understand then. And that is what makes the difference between being a dad and being a true father. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Find your own truths along the way But Santa Claus in his magic sleigh Had to be you in the rain that day And the superheroes on TV Saturdays we pretend to be You'd say, boys, well it seems to me You're the best heroes this world will ever see You're the best heroes this world will ever see And after all's been said and done And my battles for independence won I'm proud to say that I'm my father's son After all's been said and done And my battles for independence won Hear me, you all slide Son of a gun I'm proud to say That I'm my father's son A fool thinks he ain't bought and sold Cause every man sells a bit of his soul Bring his family home some gold Before he knows he's gotten old Your boys are not baseball stars You never got that fleet of fancy cars And mama left you for the distant stars But you never showed your battle scars You never did like to show your battle scars And after all's been said and done And my battles for independence won I'm proud to say that I'm my father's son After all's been said and done And my battles for independence won Hear me, you old sly son of a gun I'm proud to say that I'm my father's son You made mistakes, but you made them well You got up each time you fell You paid your price and you lived some hell But didn't it make for tales to tell We learned to laugh, we learned to bend We learned the lessons never end And I'm the luckiest fool who's been To be your son And to get to call you friend To get to be your son And to call you my best friend 
getting done and my battles for independence won. I'm proud to say that I'm my father's son. After all's been said and done and my battles for independence won. Hear me, you all sly, son of a gun. I'm proud to say that I'm my father's son. Proud to say that I'm my father's son. I'm proud to say that I'm my father's son.